Well, it's great to be back. Wow, it's so good to be back with you again. And it's a very exciting time of year, isn't it? Can you believe it's nearly Christmas? And it's that time of year when um, schools are closing and all the children are having their end-of-year concerts. I'm sure that many of you have had to go and listen to children singing and doing their little things. And it's very exciting. Well, a story is told, and I have it on good account that it was true, of a little Johnny who is, was from a very hospitable family. And he was chosen out of his class to be one of the innkeepers in the nativity scene. So he was duly regaled in his... Um, dressing gown with a little tea towel, and he, he thought he'd look quite smart. But it troubled him a bit because his parents were always um, full of love, and, and his family was always a, a busy one with people coming to visit. And he thought, how can I just say no to Mary and Joseph? So he said to his teacher, you know, I've got a problem with them saying there's no room at the inn. She said, well, those are the words, Johnny, and you have to just be one of three who say no, 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 and that's how it is. Well, the great night arrived. The hall was filled with all the parents. They were waving. There he is. He looked very smart. And sure enough, Mary and Joseph came, and the first innkeeper said, no room at the inn. Second, no room at the inn. When it got to little Johnny, he thought, I'm sorry there's no room at the inn, but would you like to come in for a drink? <laughs> <laughs> so, bless him. He just couldn't just say no. But it's that time of year. Bless him. Now... This is one of the exciting themes of our year, the birth of hope, hope being born. And it's remarkable that Chris invited me to preach on this because right at the very beginning of the year, I was reading my Bible in one of my morning devotions and a verse just leapt out the page at me. I don't know if you've had that happen to you, where you're reading and it's almost like bold capital letters just come out and it just gets you right here. And the whole year, I've hung onto this verse. It's been so real. It's been so much a part of me. It's a verse from Romans chapter 15, and Paul was writing to Christians that he'd not yet met in Rome who were experiencing dark days. And I can tell you that when I've read this verse, I took it for myself. And it's not been an easy year on many accounts. Not in our family, we've had some big trials. Not in our business, we've really had some challenges. And I know with even the church building, we had to wait a long time to get that planning permission. And if you look at the earth on a global scale, things are really pretty grim, aren't they, with the migrants in their millions having nowhere to go and winter coming and just the sort of onslaught of evil and terrorism and so on. So it's a, it's a pretty bleak picture, but I've hung on to this one verse and I've made it my own. And it's really transformed those dark hours of the night for me. Let's read from Romans 15, 13, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. I love it because it's the closest to the Greek, the original, and it's so rich. I always feel it's like quadraphonic sound, and it's like not 3D, but 4D, you know, the full big picture. May the God of your hope so fill you with all joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound and be overflowing, bubbling over with hope. That's remarkable. In days when 
there's a sense of oppression and difficulty, maybe disappointment, maybe an onslaught of wicked things happening. As Paul was writing to the Romans, he prayed this prayer, which is like a shaft of light and hope, just pouring in to such a dark, troubled place that hope would abound and be so full that it would not only bubble over in you, but out to those around. That's what we're called to do. How, how can that be possible? Well, I always say I'm glad you asked, <laughs> because the answer lies in a manger in Bethlehem almost 2,000 years ago. Hope was born that very first Christmas. It's an irrepressible hope. It's part of God's love reaching down for us that nothing can stop. And there was this beautiful intersection of God becoming man because he knew he, that was the way to rescue us. The shadow of the cross was over that baby from the first second. Chris, last week, was sharing in a very articulate and brilliant way of the history of God's people, how they were chosen to be blessed among the nations and to be a blessing, but they were just disobedient, one generation after the next, after the next. And you just keep, as you read the Old Testament, think, how did they just not get it? Because God sent his prophets. He did amazing miracles. He took them out of bondage in Egypt. The Red Sea opened, he fed them with manna. I mean, so many things. Water came out of a rock. He took them into the land flowing with milk and honey, but they complained. They were disobedient. They just were insistent on doing their own thing. Still, that love was poured out for them unconditionally, but they just wouldn't have it. And prophets were stoned. God's people were really criticized and ignored and God's message of love was turned down, generation after generation. And so eventually they went into exile, then they came out of exile, they rebuilt Jerusalem. And at this time, there was an invasion by Rome and there was oppression. And it was a time of deep darkness. There was gloom, there was hopelessness. And I think the people had just sunk into this type of giving up mode. Nothing was going to happen. There'd been a type of divine silence for almost 400 years since the last prophet. Okay, there had been a little flicker of a, a rumor about a Messiah coming, but nobody quite knew who he would be or how he would come. And they just settled into this grim resolve of hopelessness. I can understand that because it's very easy for that pattern to happen. When you've prayed, when things just don't seem to be answered and nothing happens and it's almost like scriptures say the heavens are as brass, you almost want to just give up quietly and you think nobody's listening, nobody can hear the silent scream that I have for help and something different to change in my life. It's in those dark moments that you hold on to that word like I did, that hope, irrepressible is there because of our faith in the, through the Holy Spirit. It's just a remarkable thing what happened is that um, people were expecting a Messiah to come, 
But when he actually came, they weren't ready for it. And so often, I think, the Christmas story to many people who are really living in a hard world and things are going a bit rough, what they do, they climb up to the attic, they open the box, take out the baby Jesus, this little wooden thing, dust him off, bring him down, set up the little scene in the manger, light their candles, have the people around. It's all fine for a couple of weeks, and then after Christmas season, what happens? They wrap him up, put him back in the little box, and toddle back up to the attic, and away he is for another year. And that's what it happens. People don't realize. They just don't realize this blazing message of hope that is Christmas. It's extraordinary. Hope came down. Love came down in that baby. And you know, there was more power in that baby's little finger than in the most powerful atomic bomb in the world. He created the world. He put the stars in place. It's all held together by the word of his power. But it's power for good, power to love, power to forgive, to release, to make us new. That is God's power. And it's irrepressible. That love goes on and on. Now, let's turn with that backdrop to the story in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. We read about an elderly priest called Zechariah. And so often you read about these elderly Bible characters and you think of old wizened men with long white beards and quivering voices. Well, I think that we can quite honestly say Zechariah was one of those. <laughs> Many of them weren't, like Jeremiah. He said, I can't be a prophet because I'm too young. But I think Zechariah was very old. He was serving the altar of incense in a little town in Judea. And to the right of the altar of incense, something remarkable happened. He was a devout man. He'd served there many long years. He had a, an elderly wife, Elizabeth. They were childless, but very devout. And suddenly an angel appears. Wow, this dazzling angel, Gabriel, appears to the right of the incense. I mean, it was very specific. He was terrified. And I can imagine old Zach hiding behind the table of incense. <laughs> absolutely gripped by fear. And the angel's first words, do not be afraid. So often the angel's first words are, do not be afraid. You can understand why. And I can imagine him saying, while he was cowering, the angel saying, Zechariah, I've got good news for you. Your prayers have been answered. You will have a son, and his name will be John, and he will be a delight. And Angel Gabriel goes on for quite a passage saying that he's going to be used mightily by God. Let's read from Luke 1, chapter, Luke chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, what Zechariah's response was. Would you like to know? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? He doubted. I am an old man. That was probably pretty obvious, but he was so aware of being a really old man. And my wife is well along in years. How could this be? But it was God of the unexpected. Verse 19 says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak with you and to tell you this good news. 
and you will now be silent and not able to speak until the day that this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Isn't it extraordinary? The words of God spoken through an angel will come true at the appointed time. You see how remarkable the story is? It's God of the unexpected. God of the unexpected, not what he would have expected at all in that temple. All the other priests were waiting outside because old Zach had been in there for a long time. And when he came out, they could see he was shocked that he couldn't speak and they knew he'd seen a vision. And sure enough, Elizabeth conceived and she did become pregnant. And we read that she remained in seclusion for five months. I bet she was just astounded and in awe. She was a fantastic old lady. Because we read in verse 25 of chapter Luke 1, the Lord has done this for me. She knew straight away that it was of God. She didn't doubt. She just knew this, the Lord had done this. And then later, she was well past childbearing age. She said, in these days... He has shown me favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. It was a disgrace because she didn't have children. Her husband was the priest. How remarkable that God of the unexpected had shown up, least when anyone was expecting, and was doing this in the most extraordinary way. That was Elizabeth. Later on in the first chapter of Luke, we read about Mary. And our focus on this special Sunday is on Mary today. Mary, just a young teenager. Some scholars say as young as 13, 14, 15, probably no much older than 16. She lived in a little town of Nazareth. Archaeological discoveries show that the houses at that time were built with little mud bricks, similar to Uganda, where I've just been for a couple of weeks doing charity work. And she would have swept out the courtyard, she would have had to go and fetch water from a well, do all the things that a young girl had done. Remarkably, because she was a woman of faith, we can read a story of great courage and an absolute inspiration for us. And I want to just divert for a little bit to give a bit of backdrop here because Matthew wrote in his gospel the genealogy of Jesus. And I always find this fascinating because women in those days were not part of the main group in the synagogue. They had to sit separately. And I don't think you'd have a woman preaching. <laughs> Definitely not. The men were the ones who were getting the preaching from the priests and, and the ones worshipping in the synagogue. But in the genealogy of Matthew's Gospel, which starts with Abraham, the prophets Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Matthew mentions four women. I was going to say ladies, but in fact, they weren't ladies. These were four women of quite dubious background, and they all had fairly unconventional, shall we say, relationships. But how extraordinary that Matthew puts them in the genealogy. The first was Tamar, and you should read about Tamar, a woman, again, of great faith and courage who posed as a prostitute in order that things would be fulfilled the way God wanted. Then there was Rahab. We all know Rahab. Every time Rahab's mentioned, it's Rahab the prostitute. So there's absolutely no question about Rahab. She was at Jericho. She lived in the walls of Jericho, possibly having an inn there. And she let the spies in and was greatly used by God. 
God of the unexpected, isn't he? And then thirdly, there's Ruth in that genealogy. She wasn't even a Jewess. She was a Moabitess, which was often seen as the enemy. And she had a very unconventional relationship with Boaz, but a beautiful type, a picture of what was to come. God uses all these things for his purpose for good in the big picture. Very exciting. And then Bathsheba, who was married to someone else at the time. And when David saw her, he was absolutely enthralled and wanted her and plotted to murder her husband in order that he would take her. It's extraordinary. I mean, you you read Jilly Cooper with some of these racy novels, and I think, then you read the Bible, and you think, my goodness, it's it's like 60 shades of very dark whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But this is true, and this is part of the genealogy. It's incredible, isn't it? So into this backdrop are woven these four women, who God used as part of the descendants to the king of Israel, David, and then on to the Messiah. God of the unexpected, he is able to use anything for his glory. So here is Mary. Mary was a virgin, pure, beautiful, with this amazing heart to respond to God. And I think as a young girl betrothed to Jacob, her great love, she would have planned a wedding. She would have thought of the people around, all the neighbors. Just what a fabulous celebration that would have been. And suddenly, an amazing thing happens to her. Angel Gabriel appears to Mary. Angel Gabriel, in dazzling glory, Let's read from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, because it says it so beautifully. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of a greeting this would be. You can imagine. She would just be overwhelmed at this angel. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. I bet she was such a beautiful, godly young woman. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. This is part of this lineage. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants, not just for a generation, but forever. His kingdom will never end. This word came to the simple young girl. How extraordinary. Mary asked the angel, how will this be, since I'm still a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. I think this is almost like a comforting word saying, don't be afraid, because this is a, God's already started moving, and she's, she was unable to conceive, being of old age, and she's already in her sixth month. <laughs> For no word from God will ever fail. Oh, I love that. 
No word from God would ever fail. And Mary replied these remarkable words. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me fulfilled, be it according to your word. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And I just love the way when Mary understood the significance of this, her first thought was, yes, in blazing capital letters, yes. She could have said, really? What about my wedding? What about the plans that I've made? This is totally unacceptable in the sense that to be pregnant in this little community, everybody would know. What would Joseph think? He'll think I've been up to something no good. What will my parents think? You know my father, he will be furious. There will be disgrace in the whole family. I will be shamed. Even more serious, she could have been stoned because that's what would have happened. So this was not only a life-changing situation, but a life-threatening situation. And yet, look how she responds. Be it unto me according to your word. It is remarkable and beautiful. She said yes. I often think we underplay the role of Mary because some Catholic faiths, excuse me, some faiths, I think the Catholic Church, but many other faiths too, always um, almost venerate Mary and, and put a lot of focus. And I think that we often, as Protestants, sometimes think, well, we'll counter that and just underplay her. But I really take such inspiration from, from Mary. And I would so want to say yes to God in my life, like she did, for things that maybe we don't understand, maybe will be completely contrary to what we were planning. But he's God of the unexpected. And he's mightily at work because he knows the big picture. And it's for his glory and it's for good. She didn't say, I'll be stoned. But she said, be it unto me according to your word. And in John's gospel, the first chapter we read, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten son of God. For the first time in history, God met man and a child was conceived that would be the savior of the world. God with us, Jesus is Yeshua, the savior. Wow, this Christmas story, isn't it exciting? Oh, so much more exciting than a little wooden carving up in the attic. <laughs> so, God of the unexpected. But as Mary said, be it according to your word. He is God of his word. And everything that he said was fulfilled. This is what I love. The angel repeats that it will be fulfilled, everything that is spoken. Zechariah was silent because you did not believe my words, said angel Gabriel, which will come true at the appointed time. And then in verse 37 of Luke chapter 1, no word from God will ever fail. And we read the same wonderful theme right through scripture. His word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It will not return to him empty. It's the most wonderful repeated theme, and I just love it, because if we start to pray according to God's word, we're going to see things happening. So often we believe the lies of what that other person's saying about us, saying, you know, you're no good, or things are going to fail, it's not going to work. Turn to what God says. 
pray his words, and you're going to start seeing things change. The angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. One time after the next, told him to leave and go to Egypt. He firstly told Joseph to marry Mary, because Mary was expecting, and Joseph, as a decent man, was going to just put her away quietly and divorce her. But the angel in a dream said, it's of God, marry her, and he did. The whole of history was at that pivotal moment if he hadn't have obeyed. So that is the story of salvation. But this is because it was foretold, Isaiah 7, a virgin will conceive. Micah 5, he will be born in Bethlehem. Hosea 11, out of Egypt I will call my son. They fled to Egypt. It's amazing, all the prophecies build up to this incredible intersection at one time, at one place, in one person. And if you Google, you'll see that there are 354 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus as the Messiah. Isn't that astounding? 354. It's not coincidence. So many people say, oh, it's just coincidence. 354 written over thousands of years, some hundreds of years, all fulfilled in Jesus in one place and time. He is God of the unexpected, but he is God of his word. And no word from God will ever fail. The most precious gift we can give this Christmas is Jesus Christ. People are going to have lots of things wrapped up. But if you can share meaningfully that Jesus Christ is no longer a baby, but he's alive. He's the risen Lord. He's taken everything that separates us from God. That is the message of Christmas and of hope. Jesus is the most precious gift that we can receive and the most precious gift that we can give. God of the unexpected, God of his word, as Mary and Elizabeth believed, and both said yes. I love Elizabeth. She was just saying, no, God, no word from God will ever fail, Elizabeth says in verse 37. And blessed is, he, is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. That's Elizabeth of Mary. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth believed the word. Mary believed the word. They both said yes to God with all of their hearts, although they couldn't understand the circumstances. But they knew that God was at work in them and through them. Unfortunately, Zechariah doubted and he was silenced for those months. And amazingly, I, I just want to say the next thing that I want to talk about is Although an angel appeared to Zechariah, he still couldn't believe that it was God actually doing a miracle in his life. Have you seen an angel? I haven't, but I've met people who do say that they have seen angels, and they're quite credible people. Billy Graham wrote a book in the 70s on angels, God's Secret Agents, which is quite a catchy title. But these first chapters of Mark and Luke are just infused with angelic beings and presences in dreams. The angels were there to Joseph right at the beginning, and they were there through Jesus' life. When he was coming out of the wilderness of temptation, he was anointed, and the angels ministered to him. And then right at the end of his ministry, they rolled away the stone, 
and the angels were there. And we read about angels in Daniel chapter 7, tens of thousands, tens of thousands, and Revelation chapter 5, it's the same words, tens of thousands, tens of thousands, and more. And even the shepherds saw the angelic hosts. It's so exciting. We don't pray to angels, but often we don't even think that they're there, but they are. They are God's ministering spirits. We often entertain angels unaware, and they are sent at God's bidding. And we read that when one soul repents and receives Jesus, the angels rejoice in heaven. So this is bristling with angels. God of the unexpected, God of his word, and God of angelic beings. But I want to take it further to a climax. Mary is the person we've really looked at in depth this morning. Her response, in spite of all the complications it would bring in her life, she said yes to God. But more wonderfully than that, she responded with such exuberance and thanksgiving. It's like when we are holding on to God's word in the middle of the night and things are grim and baby's sick or the business has crashed, whatever. We hold on to that hope. We stick to that verse. We believe in God. We come to him in desperation sometimes, but he will not fail. He will work in surprising ways, he will work according to his words. He does use angels. But let's look, as we close, at Mary's song, which is like a grand crescendo of this whole Christmas story. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I could just hear her saying that. It's just spilling over. She is just so excited to be that person that God has chosen for this amazing mission. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humbled state of his servant. She knew she was just a nobody. She lived in the backside of Nazareth in obscurity, Nothing, probably from a fairly modest family. And here she had been chosen as the favored one to bear the hope of the world. And she rejoiced from now on, all generations will call me blessed. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. It's amazing that from total obscurity, she was catapulted into being probably, well, the most famous woman in all the world. Millions around the world know of Mary. That is God of the unexpected. And she responded with deep thanksgiving, overflowing joy. And I love this verse. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And I think when we're sitting there and I'm standing here, if you can just join with me and just catch that, that we can just say, the mighty one has done great things and we are glad. Can you feel the hope? <laughs> it's like a tight seed, a hard seed, full of potential. But when the living water trickles in 
and it starts opening up, the most beautiful things grow. And that's what God's doing, even in this place now. It's extraordinary. <laughs> Praise you, God. Praise you, God. That's Mary. Now, on this wonderful theme of thanksgiving, because that's really our heart's response when we just are staggered by God's love that reaches down to us and never ends. Through the centuries, it never ends. There's going to be a wall outside called the Thanksgiving Wall, which is just such a wonderful way to end this year. And we'll all be given a little star. You've got to choose one thing that you'd like to write so we can put it up on the wall that you're thankful for. Some of us have got myriads of things. Some might have to think hard because you've had a tough, hard year. But one thing that you can be thankful for. And it's going to be wonderful to just see this galaxy of stars glittering with all the promises that God has fulfilled through the generations and now into our generation in this church, in this place, in St. Albans. Isn't it exciting? We are part of a lineage. That's why I take time to explain about Tamar and Rahab and all that, because it's all history, it's all real, and it's come to this place at this time now, and we are part of it. <laughs> it's so wonderful. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. It might be very soon, but we're part of this now. As the band comes up, I'd like us to just bow our heads and we'll pray. Oh, loving Father God, it's extraordinary the lengths that you went to to show your love and your rescuing power for mankind. You sent your only son, your beloved son, to come into this messy, mixed up world where he was threatened with death from the hour he was born. You had a purpose and a plan for each one. And in this moment, we say yes to you with all of our hearts. Yes to you, Lord. We know that you can work in unexpected ways. You, God of the impossible, the inconceivable was conceived, and you can do that in our lives. Thank you. You are God of your word. You will fulfill your word. And you're God of angelic beings, things that we can't even imagine. That's who you are. You're a God of such love. That's who you are. And you love us. That's who we are. We don't understand it, but we receive that. And then going on from that, has Mary magnified you and rejoiced in you with a heart of such thanksgiving. We offer up our praise and our thanksgiving to you. Oh, God most high, we worship you. If you don't know Jesus, if you've only understood him as a little wooden figure in a box, today realize that he's alive, he's powerful, he's here with us, and he loves you, and he's got a beautiful plan for your life, more than you could ever dream or imagine. Maybe you know him, but you've never really given your all. Receive him fully. And let him cleanse you of your sins, of all that mucks up your past and clogs up your relationships. Let him free you to enjoy Christ in you, the birth of hope, 
And may this be a glorious Christmas. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs>